in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, just in the first two verses, it says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Have you ever thought about that? What is this? What does this mean that we should throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles? There's something interesting in this verse and that we find throughout scripture about this thing called sin. We talk about sin um, all the time. And oftentimes, if you think about sin or if you, if you even just think about the word right now, you would likely to come up with a, your, I, I think you'd come up with some sort of a definition that describes actions, um, particularly immoral actions, actions that go against God. Um, a famous way of describing sin is missing the mark. It's sort of a taking, taking its cues from, um, from Greek archery. Biblically though, sin is something different. Sin is more akin to a force that leads us towards transgression. And this force we can see in, in texts like Genesis four, where it describes as sin crouching at the door. Well, uh, an arrow that's missed the mark can't crouch at the door, can it? It's mixing metaphors a little bit, but I think you'll understand what I mean. So sin is something that's more than just our actions, but it is something that directs, directs our actions and directs the course of our life. Biblically, this force really tears at the fabric of reality. And it calls those tears, our transgressions, real life. So as we go through life and we sin, if we are not reflecting on it and allowing God's uh, spirit to speak to us throughout life, we can actually get used to sin and thinking that transgressing against God, um, living life in the opposite way that God would have us live is actually the right way to live, that that's real life. That's reality. Sin tries to deceive us into thinking that to sin is to be human. When in fact, scripture starts out in those Genesis passages by saying, no, 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 to be human is to reflect the image of God. To be human is to reflect God, is to image God in the world, to show God's good creation, how good God truly is. That's why um, the Bible makes a really big deal about holy living, eh? That if we're not living holy lives, we're not actually reflecting God's glory. We're not actually living as image bearers, which is the, the reason for our creation. If we are not living holy lives, we're not reflecting God's character to the world, even if we feel like we are. Holy living's really important in that sense, but it all comes down to sin, this force that directs our actions. Early on in the church's life, uh, theologians and pastors began to compile lists to say, okay, we want to understand this sin thing better. And they began categorizing sins uh, in a way that 
would be easy to think about and 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 sort of as a as an easy tool to self-reflect using the uh, the church understood that Jesus is the great physician he is the doctor of our souls and categorizing sins is sort of like categorizing things like um, different diseases maybe a, one that we know of a lot now is cancer there are all sorts of different types of cancer and being able to figure out which one it is that we have will direct the course of the treatment the same is true of the sins that we face every single day so the early church came up with these different categories and said okay we if we want to take care of ourselves if we want to take care of our sin we'll understand these categories and they'll direct our treatment but just like a cancer is to the body so is sin to the soul that if we leave it unchecked it will grow and grow and grow and take away our very life it will atrophy us in all sorts of ways so we can think that sin is you know no big deal but the truth of the matter is scripture warns against sin again and again and again and it's not missing the mark that sin has some sort of a a force to it that that uh, that's a bit mysterious actually that would have us uh break our relationship with god so scripture describes sin as a snare scripture says that that our sin breaks our relationship with god and scripture says sin leads to death so the church came up with categories seven uh what what are referred to as deadly sins that came to be the prime descriptors the prime description of the major sin categories these are pride envy sloth greed lust wrath and gluttony seven categories of sin that we can look to and say okay we can actually find these sins in our life and over the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at each of these categories of sin and do a little bit of self-check and see how Jesus saves us from them. Because if we allow sin to crouch at our door for too long, it's going to pounce and devour us. And God makes promises about his kingdom that sins... Uh, don't want us to to have that satan would want us to run away from instead we're going to run towards jesus run towards his grace run towards his mercy and ask for his spirit to reveal these areas of sin in our life these areas where we don't measure up to uh, who god is we, we don't measure up as his children but we receive grace in the midst of that so that we can become uh, more fully God's image bearers in this world. This is important too, not just for ourselves. Sometimes we can think of sins and we can look at that list and be like, oh, I know, I know someone who's prideful. I know someone who's greedy. I know someone who's lustful or wrathful. Pay attention. This is the, don't go through that list and try to point out every other person that you can think of. That list is for you and for me 
personally to start out with. And if we think that we can sin and it not affect our community, we are even more deceived than we realize because sins don't affect us alone. They affect everyone around us. If sin tears at the fabric of reality, that fabric is relationship. That fabric is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who out of their love for one another have have created all of creation. And so to sin against that God is to tear apart that reality and tearing apart relationships means depersonalizing reality. But knowing that we sin and knowing the sins that we struggle with the most can help us diagnose different issues in our life so that we can live more fully into the life that God has for us. And we can approach Christ, our great physician, and receive a cure for this thing that is ailing us. So I'm really excited and I'm praying for you as we dive into this series on the seven deadly sins over the next couple of weeks. And the first sin we're going to take a look at is pride. Pride. And we start out here because pride's the sin that probably everyone has and nobody wants to admit. (laughs) It is the sin that's most public and most private. It's the one that doesn't want you to know that you struggle with it. Um, but but I'm, I'm willing to bet if you're prideful, the people around you probably know. Uh, it's, it's very well hidden from ourselves. And this, this sin in particular, God uses in a really profound way. So first off, what is pride? Pride is a high opinion. This is the, the uh, dictionary.com definition, whatever the, whatever whatever dictionary they use. Webster's? I don't know. But they said this. (laughs) Pride is a high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. Pride is a high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. In other words, it is loving yourself above all other things. And oftentimes it's Actually, that love magnifying, the love of self magnifying and, prov- and, and perverting into an actual disdain of other people. When we are prideful, we look down on other people. We depersonalize reality. We say, you are other and I am better. I am special. You are not. I am great. You are not. And we create a divide between us and other people. And this is the foundation of every other sin that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Every other sin on the list. And really, a lot of what we struggle with in life comes out of pride. And this is because, foundationally, pride is idolatry. It is placing ourselves on the throne of our hearts that is more appropriately and rightly um, the place of Jesus. When we say we are the kings of our lives and Jesus, you can be the Lord over your kingdom, but I want my kingdom over here. We're committing idolatry because there's only one human who has ever lived who has the right to be able to say, I am king. And it's not me and it's not you and it's not anyone else but Jesus Christ. That's why we confess Jesus is Lord. And when we say that, we're, we're saying we don't want to be idolaters. We want Jesus in the, 
the, the, uh, in the throne of our hearts to direct the course of our lives as he wants. Augustine, one of the early church's theologians, said this, Pride made the soul desert God to whom it should cling as the source of life and to imagine itself instead as the source of its own life. Pride would have us think that, that we are the source of our own lives. It would make us think that, that, that I'm the most important person, that I'm the most special person, that I am the most original person in this room, and no one is more uh, important, original, or special, or authentic than I am. And pride would also have us believe that we can do life on our own, that we're, we're totally fine by ourselves, and we don't need any help from anyone else. Those two things together tear at the very fabric of all reality. Because, well, and because it, because it, not just it's, is it depersonalizing, it's stopping us from being able to see ourselves as we truly are. And so as we engage in pride, as we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we become increasingly untethered from reality itself. Pride is looking inwards for meaning rather than looking upwards for meaning. Pride is prioritizing myself over everyone else, even those closest to me. Pride is thinking, I am the only one in my life that matters, or I matter the most in my life. And it's this self-obsession, this I, 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 that slowly chokes out relationship, first with God and then with others and deceives us into thinking that maybe we are living holy lives when actually we are living lives in rebellion against the God of the universe. And this is an ex exceptionally dangerous um, in, in, in our culture today, in Canada today. And it's probably the most dangerous of the seven sins for our culture because we live in a time and a place where, where that I, that meanness, is, is held as almost sacro sacrosanct. We live in a, a culture of radical individualism where you need to speak your truth. You need to live your truth, whatever that might mean to you. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says. You do you. That's what our culture would say. It says you only live once, YOLO. And fear of missing out. The, a, a fear of missing out can only happen in a radically individualistic culture. Because it says that you are the most important person. And you're fearing missing out on those things because of it. And we even have things like social media. That you can post a photo and get a dopamine hit. From, from people liking posts and liking photos and liking your tweets or whatever. Um, that makes you feel like you are more important and more special than you actually are. Like the very structure of our, of our society wants you to think that you are the greatest person in the entire world. But the, the, our culture wants everyone to think that, which is, a, which is a major issue. We live in a culture where pride gets rewarded, and it gets rewarded with 
money and fame and power and social clout. And it will work to convince us that our other sins that we struggle with are noble. So when we, when we think to ourselves, of course, I deserve more than what I'm getting. Well, there's a little element of greed in that. Of course, I could do better than my dumb boss. I should have their job because I could do better. So a bit of envy. And we feel good about, about, about saying that. Of course, my anger is righteous. But when you get angry, uh, it's really gross. Like, you should really not do that. Yours, you, my anger is righteous. Yours is misplaced. Well, that's, that's excusing, actually, wrath. And making us think that our wrath is, is, is righteous in some sense. In our culture, pride is extra dangerous but scripture has all sorts of things to say to us about our pride there's all sorts of warnings and it has all sorts of teachings that we should pay attention to here's what scripture says about pride proverbs 16 verse 18 pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall probably one of the most famous verses in scripture that even if you're not Christian, you might have heard that pride comes before the fall. This is where that, com that, that phrase comes from. Proverbs 11, verse 2, when pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. We'll talk about that in a moment. Jeremiah 9, 23, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom, nor the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. He's saying, don't Boast, don't be prideful. Galatians 6 verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. They deceive themselves. Romans twelve sixteen. live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And we see in Revelation the pride of nations. And we see this in, in other apocalyptic texts like Daniel as well, where the pride of nations lead them to their judgment. And you can see this in Revelation chapter 18 um, in the first seven verses where uh, it's describing um, describing a nation that, that says, I am, I am the queen of my own heart. I sit enthroned. I'm not a widow. I'm never going to mourn. And God says, yeah, you think that, but I am the king of the universe and I am going to bring judgment upon you. And he warns his people about that coming judgment. Now notice, in all of those examples, actually, pride damages the proud as well as the community that the proud are a part of. Our pride, our sin, is deadly not just to us, but to everyone else around us. Which makes sense because it's depersonalizing our relationships. Pride will put everything and everyone at arm's length while making us feel like we're not at arm's length. It will make us, it, pride actually makes us, it, it, it makes us feel closer while, 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 being, while being separated. It's a very strange type of thing. And why does pride do this? Why is it? that when we are proud, it, we damage both ourselves and our communities that we're a part of. It's because when we are 
really entangled in our pride. Uh, we are unable to love as Jesus loves. We are unable to love sacrificially because we're constantly placing ourselves above other people rather than below them to serve them, which is the kind of love that Jesus calls us to have. And furthermore than this, because pride sort of enhances other sins, God will use other sins to take down our pride, to remove our pride from us. If you have ever had this experience, you would know that um, sometimes you don't realize that you're struggling with, uh, with, with the sin of pride until you start dealing with another sin. And um, one of the early, uh, a very famous uh, Christian theologian, Thomas Aquinas, sort of used, this, used an analogy from, from medicine, again, to describe what goes on in, this, in these types of situations. He says, in order to overcome their pride, God punishes certain men or certain people by allowing them to fall into sins of the flesh, which, they, uh, which though they may be less uh, pervious, are more evidently shameful. From this indeed, the gravity of pride is made manifest. So what he's saying is, there are, God will at some times allow people to fall into obvious sins so that he can do greater work underneath the surface to bring the, uh, to bring the, 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 the sins that are, that are working deep in your heart to the surface so that they can be dealt with. For just as a wise physician, Aquinas continues, in order to cure a disease... This physician allows a patient to contract one that is less dangerous. So the sin of pride is shown to be more grievous by the very fact as a remedy, God allows men to fall into other sins. The very fact that God deals with pride by allowing other sins to flourish so that, so that God can deal with both of them at the same time proves, sin, proves pride's danger to us. Because it tries to stay hidden. It tries to stay hidden from us primarily. And it tries to stay hidden from others. It hides behind other sins and tries to orchestrate things so that those other sins can draw us further and further away from God and other people. And further and further away from knowledge of ourselves, which is really important. Pride will do whatever it can to hide but those other sins aren't easily hidden, which is why God uses them. God will literally force us to deal with other sins and through those battles deal with our pride. And so today, if you uh, are a prideful person, I am expecting that God is going to do something in your heart over the next bunch of weeks as we look at the other sins in this list. That we're sort of just priming the pump for understanding uh, understanding this, this major sin. But it's going to be sort of in the back pocket because as we go through these other sins on this list of uh, envy and sloth, greed, lust, wrath, and gluttony, it's those that God will use to bring out the streak of pride in your heart. And I'm really praying that he does that.
But what can we do today about our pride? If we feel like we are prideful people, or maybe God is speaking to us by his spirit this morning and saying, you really have to deal with this today. What can we do? What is the kingdom of God cure for this ailment, we could say? Well, one of the pop, what, what, what might immediately come to your mind is humility. Well, I just need to be more humble, which is a good answer, except it should not be the first answer. That should never be your starting point because um, humility, well, humility is part of the cure. It's not part of the, it's not the starting point because that being the starting point means that the cure is within you already, that you just need to try harder and then you'll be cured of your pride. And that's not what the gospel says. Instead, well, well, ironically, if that were the cure, it would actually make the disease worse, wouldn't it? Because then afterwards you could say, oh, I tried and tried and I was more humble and then my pride was gone. But doing that would just prove that your pride never went anywhere. You actually just made it worse and you further deceived yourself. No, instead, a better starting point, the real starting point for, uh, for a cure for our pride has to be uh, a state of being, being poor in spirit, being poor in spirit. That is reaching the end of your rope, seeing that you can't do life alone or on your own and crying out to the Lord to meet you where you are and transform your life. That's what being poor in spirit is really all about. It's realizing that you aren't that important, that you aren't that special, that somebody else belongs on the throne of your heart. It's moving your eyes from looking inwards to yourself to upwards towards God. And this is really the starting point of faith and of following Jesus. This is the starting point of faith and following Jesus. If we want to get rid of our pride, we have to go back to the basics of, 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 of faith and saying, I am poor in spirit. I am a sinner in need of grace. I'm a, I'm a sinner in need of compassion. I can't do it on my own, Lord, and move our eyes from inwards to upwards and placing ourselves under the care of that great physician, Jesus, who sits on the throne of heaven. And Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When we cry out to him, when we reach the end of our rope, when we can't do anything anymore, when we feel like we're at, we're, we're at the end of ourselves and, and we're on the pericope and we just need God to move, that is where we're told we are blessed. And, and the kingdom of heaven is ours. Now our pride will push back against that and say, no, 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 no. Don't listen to that. You're not blessed. That's silly. You know how you're blessed if you just if you just try harder, just try to be humble in and of yourself. But pride doesn't want us to experience the blessings of God's kingdom. Pride wants us to push us away 
from God's kingdom. And Jesus says to us, it doesn't matter how you failed. It doesn't matter how you've messed up. It does not matter that you don't feel good enough because you don't have to be good enough. Jesus has already been better than good enough for you. You have been paid for by the price of Christ's blood shed on the cross. And so we can begin looking upward instead of inward and accept God's grace to be able to proclaim the goodness of the God who has saved us. We can acknowledge God for who he truly is as God reveals himself in scripture and begin to see ourselves properly as well, according to reality, according to how God has created and designed for us to be. Let's go back to that Jeremiah passage I read from earlier, Jeremiah 9. I only read the first, I only read one verse, but there are two verses that actually go together. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. God says, if you're going to boast, if you're going to have pride in anything, have pride in me. Look upwards instead of in, and allow that to help you see who you are and who God is. It'll help us to see that we are sinners in need of a savior, that we are poor in spirit, but that we're blessed to be a part of God's kingdom. And from there, we can be humble. From that posture of placing ourselves under the care and authority of Jesus, we can begin to be humble because we can see who God is and who we are. We can know God and know ourselves. And because we know who we are and we, 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 can, well, we also know whose we are and can live out of that identity. And then humility becomes something that trains us in what to have pride in, which is God or who is God, not ourselves. Humility, serving other people, thinking of others more highly than ourselves um, trains us to become increasingly more Christ-like in everyday life. And so 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says this, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And may that be our prayer for us this morning and for over the next couple of weeks. I pray that the Lord would humble you and that you would humble yourself at the foot of his throne. That you would place yourself under his mighty hand. And, I pray, and I, I, I'm praying for you that he would lift you up in due time. Removing the sins that you struggle with and especially the sin of pride and replacing it with humility and 
and a contrite spirit so that you can experience the blessings of God's kingdom. And just as this verse in Hebrews says that you can cast away uh, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marks out for you as you fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen.